One in 10 Americans suffer from chronic insomnia. Many receive sleeping pills and over-the-counter sleep aids at an annual cost of over $40 billion. That's an amazing figure. Hello, folks. My name is Pamela Brewer. You are listening to Mind Talk, and I'm very pleased to introduce to you today's guest, Dr. Wallace B. Mendelson. Dr. Mendelson is a professor of psychiatry and clinical pharmacology at the University of Chicago. He has also been a director of the section on sleep studies at the National Institute of Mental Health, the Sleep Disorder Center at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation, and the Sleep Research Laboratory at the University of Chicago. So I would say that Dr. Mendelson knows a great deal about sleep. Hello, Dr. How are you? Yeah. Uh, hi, Pamela. Just fine. Thanks so much for having me. Well, uh, folks may recognize your name. The last time you were with us, you were talking about uh, understanding antidepressants. So now we're going to focus on sleeping pills. And for a lot of people, they may actually be taking antidepressants and sleeping pills at the same time. Fair statement? Well, I think a, a good way to look at it is that there's a tremendous overlap between uh, insomnia and depression. Um, you can see it in a number of ways. Uh, there was one recent study that showed that uh, uh, almost 50% of people who had sleep study recordings due to some kind of uh, sleep difficulty actually scored as depressed on a, on a depression scale. Uh, um, insomnia is also a risk factor for subsequently developing depression. Uh, many folks who have insomnia later go on to have depression. And conversely, um, of folks who have major depression, 80 or 90 percent have sleep difficulties. So it's not a coincidence that, uh, as you pointed out, that I've, that I've written books on both topics. They, you can't practice psychiatry dealing with one of those issues without dealing with the other. Let's talk a, a bit more about what sleep actually is and why it's so important. Um, you and I both know that there are lots of people who say, oh, I get a couple hours of sleep a night, I'm good. And then there are people who say, eh, maybe I get 10 hours of sleep or I'm going to make up for it on the weekend. Don't get sleep during the week, but I'm going to get extra on Saturday or Sunday. Why is sleep so important and what exactly is the process of sleep? Well, sleep is a, a reversible uh, decrease in... Uh, consciousness and uh, perception of the world around us. Uh, reversible is a key word because that separates it from uh, anesthesia, for instance. Uh, um, and uh, although it does characterize by decreased uh, thinking or perception of the world around us, it's important to remember that when we go to sleep, we're not a a rock. Uh, we, you know, we we still can take in information from the environment and and act on it. And there's loads of examples of that. I mean, one example would be the new mother who who can sleep through uh, the noise of a truck driving by the house, but awakens instantly at the sound of a, a baby crying. So uh, 
able to distinguish between information coming in and, and acting on it um, during sleep. Now, the, why it's so important is, is a really tough one. Um, there seem to be a, many, many reasons, and the trick is figuring out among the many possible reasons which are the, the key ones. Um, Certainly, uh, an obvious one is uh, purpose of one purpose of sleep is to keep us awake <laughs> during the rest of the day. If we don't get adequate sleep, we, good point. We, well, are much more sleepy. It goes without saying. Uh, there are many other reasons that that seem to come up. Uh, one very interesting one, and it's sort of shown up in the last couple of years, is the idea that. During sleep, the brain kind of does a kind of house cleaning and cleans out uh, chemical products that accumulate during waking that need to be cleaned out and removed. Um, that may be one of the reasons for the association of very poor sleep and the, the later development of dementia in, in old age. Uh, there, there may be reasons having to do with uh, memory taking it uh, taking the information that came in during the day and uh, processing it and sort of putting it in the right pigeonholes and storing it for the rest of the day uh, you know for the long term and probably a bunch of other reasons the people who say you know I have a crazy job I have a hectic life I get a couple hours of sleep a night I'm all good but I'm really going to make up for it on Saturday does that work well if it works for you, I think there's, there's no problem. But in, in, in many, if not most cases, sort of gradually sleeping, depriving yourself during the week and then crashing on weekends uh, the, usually does not uh, lead to good sleep throughout the week. It's usually better to try to get roughly the same amount during the week and the weekend. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's a little room for, for play in there. You say that in your book, which is entitled uh, Understanding Sleeping Pills, that it really is important to understand how they work. So tell us about how sleeping pills actually work. Well, there, there are three or four different types, but by far the, the most common uh, type of sleeping pills, the, the so-called uh, benzodiazepines and the newer so-called Z drugs uh, work largely by increasing the action of a particular chemical in the brain that's known as GABA. Uh, GABA is, is a ubiquitous um, inhibitory chemical in the brain. It often slows things down in, in various neurons. And um, these common sleeping pills uh, tend to increase its activity by altering the receptors in the brain where it acts. Now, there's other kinds of um, actions, too. For instance, antihistamines, uh, as their name indicates, act by blocking the uh, histamine receptors in the brain. Histamine is part of a system that um, leads to uh, awakening and arousal, and and antihistamines block uh, that activity. That that's also probably how the the uh, sleeping pill doxapin 
which is an antidepressant, by the way, um, works. The, the final group is that there's yet another set of chemicals in the brain called orexins. Orexins are very interesting because they, they stimulate uh, waking and also uh, other behaviors, including eating behavior. And there, there's one sleeping pill on the market uh, known as suvorexin that, that blocks um, orexins. Now, the, the beauty of having pills that have different kinds of mechanisms is that if one particular class of pill doesn't seem to be working, it's possible to try drugs that, that work on these other classes. The, you talk about the newer Z drug. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about that, what they are, what your thoughts are about uh, their use. Folks, this is, Pamela. Sure. this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, and we'll be right back with Dr. Wallace Mendelson, author of Understanding Sleeping Pills. Dr. Mendelson, tell us about the newer Z drugs. What exactly are they? Well, sleeping pills have gone through several generations, as it were. Uh, I mean, just taking them in perspective, uh, at the turn of the last century, uh, drugs like the barbiturates were the dominant kinds of drugs. And then in the 19... um, 60s got replaced by the Valium-like drugs, uh, such as um, uh, fluorazepam, was a very was a do- dominant one in the U.S. The the benzodiazepines initially were hailed as 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 terrific drugs because of, they were perceived correctly to be less addictive, less um, dangerous and overdose and many other things than the barbiturates. Um, as the decades went by, we began to realize that, that they too have their own sets of, of problems, which we can talk about it at some point if you would like. But in any event, by the 1980s, uh, there was a recognized need for uh, uh, drugs that were more specific to sleep and, and generally safer. And it was in the late 1980s that uh, a series of new uh, compounds came available. The first of these was Zolpidem. Others were uh, Zopiclone in Europe, Esopiclone in the U.S., and Zalapon. Uh, so it's no wonder where the name Z-drug then, uh, came from. Um, the, the, the Z-drugs have certain advantages over the benzodiazepines. The science behind it is that the benzodiazepines bind in the brain to a a variety of uh, forms of the receptor for them, and thus they have a variety of effects. In addition to helping sleep, for instance, they 
they can have uh, tranquilizing effects, muscle relaxing effects, um, uh, effect ataxia, which means uh, you know difficulty with movements and um, and effects on memory. The the newer Z drugs uh, are more selective for receptors that have more to do with sleep. So one advantage of them is that the at the doses used for sleep, they have less of the effects on these other systems, uh, systems of, uh, that would affect your coordination, memory, uh, and things like this, for instance. So they're, they're a little bit more specific in their effects. Um, they, like the benzodiazepines, they, they do have dependence-producing qualities, and they're classified by the government as such. But it seems to be a little bit less of a problem clinically than it is with the benzodiazepines. Um, they come in a variety of durations of action from a very short-acting one called Zalapon um, to longer-acting ones like um, Sopiclone and their effects on sleep are predictable from how long they act. So Zalaplon, the very short-acting one, primarily helps people go to sleep uh, without having much effect on total amount of sleep, whereas longer-acting ones like esophagone can affect uh, both going to sleep and um, how long you stay asleep. So, so one thing that's very important for a doctor in, in choosing a drug for a particular patient is finding a drug that uh, where the kinetics, that is the duration of action, match the complaint that the patient has. Let, let me ask you about over-counter uh, sleep aids. Um, certainly that is a booming business do you have any particular concerns do you do you believe that they're useful in any way well i'm really glad you raised that raised that because uh, i i do have some very real concerns the over-the-counter sleeping pills uh, and other drugs that are used for sleep without prescription for instance uh, the hormone melatonin which is sold over the counter as a uh, food additive, actually, uh, you know, do have their own characteristics. And, and because they're so widely used, it, it's great that we talk about them. Now, the over-the-counter sleeping aids are largely the antihistamine, uh, diphenhydramine. And there's also another one called doxylamine. Uh, the reason they were first... Uh, I think tried for sleep was sort of a common sense thing. They can make you sleepy when you take them in the daytime for allergies, for instance. And so somebody said, well, in that case, maybe they would help you sleep. Well, it actually turns out that that's not such good logic. Just because a drug makes you drowsy in the daytime doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good sleeping pill when taken at night. And indeed, the research studies on antihistamines uh, really are very mixed, not, not clearly at all showing uh, 
a clear story of benefiting sleep. And in fact, in one very major study, uh, diphenhydramine actually uh, disturbed sleep and made people more restless. So first you have the issue that, that they probably are not terribly helpful. The second issue is that they're not necessarily benign. Uh, a lot of folks think, well, if you can buy something without a prescription, it, maybe it's weaker, but at least it's probably safer. That, not necessarily the case. Um, antihistamines uh, can have a lot of side effects uh, besides sleepiness, and a very major one can be effects on memory. Uh, in fact, uh, there, there's a famous list called the Beers List of medicines to avoid in the elderly, and um, antihistamines are, pro are very prominently listed on, on the Beers List. There's an association of taking them in the elderly and the development of confusional states, uh, which can be very, very severe. In addition, in people of all ages, they, they have uh, what are called anticholinergic effects, and these can include things like blurred vision, dried mouth, uh, digestion difficulties, uh, urinary retention, and other problems. So all in all, uh, over-the-counter sleep aids are probably not, uh, not a good bet. So what's interesting is when I think about the the numbers uh, in terms of over-the-counter uh, medications and the value of them, it sounds like they've done a really good marketing job. Well, they have, and for reasons that I've never quite understood, they they have a long tradition in in medicine and in family medicine as being uh, you know a good thing to try, and that tradition is is probably incorrect uh, and certainly the issue that the, the notion that they're they're very benign drugs and can't hurt but might help kind of reasoning is is pretty clearly not the case I think that that is certainly uh, a very powerful uh, piece of information that you've just shared with us I'm wondering if uh, in terms of these over-the-counter medications, is there any kind of oversight? Is there any body that says or, or requires that what they say is in them is in fact in them to the dosage that they say it is? Well, that's, that's a really important issue that you just raised. Uh, one aspect of over-the-counter medicines is that they're, they're not regulated to the same degree that, that prescription drugs are and um, this this comes up even more with than uh, over-the-counter medicines when you start talking about herbal products or um, again melatonin as I mentioned before uh, t turning to those types of substances uh, there have been some very startling studies uh, there was one study of melatonin where they uh, researchers just bought as many bottles of different brands as they could find on the shelves and then analyzed them chemically. And they they found that the amount of melatonin in the bottle differed by uh, from being 87% lower to several hundred times percent, uh, several hundred percent larger than what was in the bottle. 
So one issue is that there, there's not the same degree of control uh, of manufacturing in, in herbals and melatonin. Uh, again, for all of these reasons, uh, my own feeling is that non-prescription sleeping pills and herbal products and melatonin are, are probably less helpful for um, disturbed sleep in, in general. Mm. Dr. Mendelson, there's so much more about sleep that I would like to talk to you about, but unfortunately today, at this moment, we are out of time. Can you tell us how people can get more information about you and all the things that you have written? Do you have a website? Sure. Um, again, my name is Wallace Mendelson, M-E-N-D-E-L-S-O-N, and uh I, my books, which include Understanding Antidepressants and Understanding Sleeping Pills, are both available on, at Amazon. Uh, I have a website, which is zibit.org, Wallace Mendelssohn. So it's Z-H-I-B-I-T dot O-R-G slash Wallace Mendelssohn. Dr. Mendelssohn, um, looks like my clock brain wasn't awake today. So I actually ended this before we needed to. So I'm going to just do a close, uh, I mean a close to the break, and then come back in and ask you some of those questions I wanted to ask you. Okay? That's all on me. That would be fine. Okay. Dr. Mendelson, we're going to take a break, and when we return, I'd like to ask you more about some of the difficulties that people may experience, some of the behaviors that can occur during sleep. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go away. Sure. Okay. Dr. Mendelson, we've been talking about sleeping pills, over-the-counter, and prescription. What are some of the behaviors that people can actually experience while they are sleeping? Well, there are a number of um, kinds of uh, behaviors that can occur during sleep. Uh, forgetting about the topic of sleeping pills for a moment, uh, and just talking about sleep in general. Uh, the two general classes are those that occur during deep sleep, so-called slow-wave sleep, and those that occur during rapid eye movement or REM sleep. Um, there's a variety of these. These can include uh, so-called benign sleepwalking of childhood, which can also occur in adults. Um, rarely there can be a, a, a more serious issue, which is something that looks sort of like sleepwalking but it's actually part of a, of seizure disorders that only occur during sleep. Uh, there's a state known as REM behavior disorder in which um, in effect people act out their dreams during sleep. Um, there are elaborate mechanisms in the brain to make the main body muscles relaxed uh, during REM sleep. Uh, but sometimes these mechanisms fail, and in these people, they, they may actually 
do things that they were dreaming about. And since often our dreams involve things that can get us in trouble, it, uh, this indeed can in fact happen in REM behavior disorder. Uh, it, it often occurs in um, older men, who, uh, for instance, who have had, quote, small strokes. It uh, can involve, uh, uh, you know, getting up, uh, sometimes uh, doing violent things in rare cases. And that is a very interesting uh, and potentially serious issue. Now, coming back to sleeping pills, um, I should mention that a a rare side effect of some sleeping pills, uh, it's usually been publicized in terms of the Z drugs, can be a kind of complex sleep behaviors. And there's uh, drug-induced sleep walking, uh, sleep eating, interestingly enough. Uh, some people have stretched this to uh, talk about sleep driving, uh, uh, even uh, uh, sleep shopping, the phrase has been tossed around, although I'm not so sure about that one. But the bottom line is that a very rare side effect of uh, just about any sleeping pill uh, can involve getting up, doing complex behaviors, and going back to bed and not having any memory of it the next day. Um, there's been a lot in the press associating this with the particular sleeping pills, Zolpidem. Uh, I'm not clear that it's really unique, or especially with Zolpidem. It just happens to be the most widely used sleeping pill, so it makes sense that it happens with it most commonly. So I think that everything that we have talked about today says, number one, see a doctor about your sleeping issues, whatever you think they are, and get a prescription if a prescription is what is necessary. And also be very wary of these over-the-counter medications that may do a great deal more harm than good. I think those are both uh, very good points. Uh, and I would add a third third and fourth one. The third one would be, uh, when talking with your doctor, be very conscious of the possibility of depression because very often uh, what seems like a problem with insomnia, when, when you explore it a little more carefully, may be a problem of being depressed. And if so, there's a, it's a different kind of medicine that's needed. And then the, the fourth point would be also, of course, to be aware that although sleeping pills are a very powerful and useful way for improving disturbed sleep, just to be aware that there are also psychotherapy-type approaches, which can be very useful for, for treating insomnia. And the most commonly uh, mentioned one is called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Uh, otherwise known as CBT for insomnia. Exactly. So there are certainly options. Dr. Wallace B. Mendelson, again, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. You've given us a lot to think about. You've certainly written a great deal. May I have your web address so folks can get more information about all the things you've written? Sure. Uh, my books, including Understanding Sleeping Pills and Understanding Antidepressants, are available on Amazon by Wallace Mendelson. 
and my web address is zibit.org, Z-H-I-B-I-T dot org forward slash Wallace Mendelson. Terrific. Thank you again, Dr. Mendelson, for your time and for your expertise. And something tells me that you'll be back with your next book. I like that very much. Thank you so much, Pamela. My pleasure. You have a great day. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service and is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is available on demand by going to mynndtalk.org. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening to Mind Talk. So do email me at Pamela at MindTalk.org. That's P-A-M-E-L-A at MindTalk.org. MindTalk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. And be sure when you go to the MindTalk homepage, you sign up for our weekly free giveaway. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.